0: Thank you for downloading the following message from the Pickerington Church of Christ. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you walk with the Lord. For more information or to find additional resources, locate us on the web at pickeringtonchurch.org. Enjoy the message. Boy, I'm so glad to be up here today. Not just an opportunity to preach to you, but more importantly, the opportunity to say thank you. To so many of you. Um, Privately, I owe many of you very uh, much gratitude, but I also want to take just a moment publicly to say thank you, first and foremost, to just the body of believers that are here that have been so gracious, so kind, so helpful to me and my family in the last seven, almost eight months now it's been since um, that famous go-kart accident (laughs) derailed some plans. And I am getting better. Uh, I think I'm getting better a little bit. My arm's starting to work a little bit more. Um, I'll save all the weakness jokes for my bicep later. It's, uh, it's been that way for my whole life, but uh, now I can feel it even more. And I just want to take a quick moment to say thank you very much. You know, since Thanksgiving, when I had the last round of surgeries and knew that I was going to be out for a while, Matt and I had sort of a scheduled kind of game plan, knowing how long it was going to take me to come back. And I kept thinking about what would I preach about when I come back, and this story about returning with gratitude just kind of kept coming to my mind, and I want to make sure I take the opportunity to return back, not just to the Lord, but to you to say, thank you very much. Um, you've lifted me up. You've cared for me and my family. You've prayed for us. You've supported us. You've sent cards, not once, but many times. You've given gifts to us, and um, all of that in combination has been just an amazing amount of support and encouragement in this very difficult time for us. Um The way you've prayed for me and my family has helped. And when I say prayed with us and for us, I mean that. There are many days when prayer was difficult. I'm not sure I was praying the right way or I was even praying with the right heart. And I know that the prayers of the saints not just surrounded me but lifted me and my family up. So I thank you um, very, very much for all of your support. I want to take just a moment to say thank you to our elders who have been so kind, so gracious to my family during this difficult time. Please, on my behalf, say thank you to them for me and my family. Um, they have not just offered support, but reiterated support, continued to remind me of that that the support that exists that's there, and that certainly helped in the healing process. And also, I'd like to say thank you very much publicly. Told him privately, but thank you to Matt. Um, on a dime, he pivoted, stepped in, preached um, very well for us, and was so helpful to me. He didn't just fill our pulpit, he fed our souls and uh, took us on some really good studies. So on my behalf too, would you please say thank you to Matt, and I'm deeply indebted to him and I thank him so much. Okay, this story, who's it for? If you're an outcast, it's for you. If you feel like you don't belong, this story is for you. If you are suffering immeasurably, this story is for you. If you feel like you can't catch a break, (laughs) just things pile on top of you, one after another, this story's for you. If you're lonely, isolated, afraid, anxious, worried, this story's for you. If you are someone who isn't aware of your needs right now, this story's also for you. We got 10 people, 10 guys who are condemned with a disease called leprosy, which is a collection of a bunch of skin disorders. Some of them are mild that can be healed in just a few short weeks. They go back and see the priest. They could be declared clean if things were pretty simple. But if you were declared leprous and had the severe disease of leprosy, it is an awful, terrible condition. You suffered physically. Your body would literally eat itself. Eating away at the bones and the flesh. In fact, you would go numb on your appendages and you wouldn't even know that you were causing yourself harm because you couldn't feel hands, arms, legs, feet. You wouldn't know. It would attack all parts of your physical body. It was difficult and suffering was emotional, sadness, loneliness. You were suffering socially. You were the outcast. In fact, when you were declared to be leprous by the priest, you were to walk around all of society covering your mouth saying, I'm unclean, I'm unclean, and stay at a distance from people. People who were declared leprous had to go live together in their own colony, away from their families, away from their friends. Life altered forever. But this was also a spiritual suffering. This lesson is for those who are downtrodden with guilt and shame and just cannot figure out how to get rid of it. You see, leprosy was seen as a divine judgment, meaning this. When you got leprosy, people wondered, what did you do to get it? Because you deserve it. And so in the community, when you were a leper, you weren't just suffering physically or socially or emotionally. You were suffering spiritually because you were judged. You were condemned. From God Almighty, you were guilty. You are where you are, who you are, and the condition you are in because of what you've done. And leprosy said, you can't escape it. It's pretty bad. And so Jesus in this story is going to show us with demonstration and what he says, incredible compassion that he cares and that's important you know that about God, that He cares, that He loves you. But He's also going to demonstrate incredible power. He can do something, He can make a difference, He can change their lives. And so, as we jump in and we learn from this story, let's start where it very began at the very beginning. It starts with the cry of the lepers, their cry. In verses 11 through 13, we see Jesus here in the last months of His life, okay? So, from Luke chapter 9, verse 51 says that Jesus set his face, he resolved in himself to go to Jerusalem. And we're a few months away from his crucifixion. And Jesus would make about three journeys into Jerusalem for a few of the feasts. And in his journeys back and forth, he is healing all kinds of people. In fact, John tells us that the world itself could not contain the amount of books that need to be written to tell you everything Jesus did. He was healing, saving, serving, caring, teaching. And he had set his face to the crucifixion. He knew it was close. He knew it was near. And on one of these journeys, this is probably the last one out of Jerusalem and then to come back um, in his life. Probably at this time he's already um, raised Lazarus from the dead and he's leaving from that place in Bethany, going back out to Galilee for just a few moments and he's going to come back to his crucifixion. So his death is probably three to four weeks away at this point. He comes into an unnamed village between Samaria and Galilee. Jews live there, Gentiles live there, Samaritans live there. It's sort of a mingled sort of village. And he walks in, and there are ten lepers, and it points this out, that they stand at a distance from Jesus, probably the distance from me to Rodney. Okay, so if you can picture the back corner of the auditorium, Jesus is walking in, maybe down the road, and they're off to the distance. They're holding their lip. They're saying, we're unclean, we're unclean. And they see Jesus. And the story starts with them crying out to him. They raised their voice. Now, this doesn't mean that they got loud. When it raised their voice, it doesn't mean that they were screaming loud because at this point, as lepers, they probably had lost a lot of their vocal power. If you want to go find out what this like, go talk to Abby today. She's not allowed to use her voice. She's had some procedure on her vocal cords, so she's kind of raspy and quiet. This is probably what they were going through because leprosy was probably already attacking their vocal cords. So they were raising their voice but barely being able to get out a scratched word, which this means that they were with all their might, with everything they had, they were crying out to Jesus. And there's three things you see about their cry. First of all, their cry was specific. They said, Jesus. They weren't standing together on the corner of the street saying, Anybody out there? Can somebody please help us? Is there anybody that can come make our life better? They weren't generically just crying out to anybody who would listen. They said specifically to Jesus. They probably didn't know him personally, but they were very familiar with him. His reputation had gone out. They weren't just generically crying to anybody. They wanted Jesus to respond to their need. The second thing about their cry is not just that it's specific, but it was also submissive. You notice they say, Jesus, master. They don't say Jesus, healer. They don't say Jesus, friend. They don't say Jesus, teacher, Jesus, prophet. They're not talking about any of the other titles that this man has been called in his life. They call him master which means they're giving him honor. They're recognizing him as authority. And they're saying, we believe you have power, Jesus, master. Now this guy, Jesus, had a reputation in this area that was pretty well known. By this time, he's about two and a half, three years into his ministry, and he has done a lot of things in a lot of places. And his reputation was going all over that region of the world. People knew about him they had heard about him and can you imagine what they had heard about Jesus? There definitely was some good things like this guy. Jesus saved this wedding. He turned water into wine How cool is that this guy Jesus healed a guy who couldn't walk? He made a guy who couldn't hear be able to hear they had heard stories about Jesus that he was doing some good things But they also probably heard some stories that Jesus wasn't a good guy you know that Jesus He does things that are against the law. He heals people on the Sabbath. You're not supposed to do that. You know that Jesus, his disciples, they don't even care about God and his law. They they rub grain between their hands, and they eat, and they work on the Sabbath. What's wrong with these people? So these guys, these lepers, had probably heard good things about Jesus and bad things about Jesus. They opted to test the good that they heard, not just believe the bad that they had heard. Now listen, look at me. There's a great distinction in how you relate to Jesus to you get that point. Most people have heard bad things about Christ, about Christianity. It was like Buddhist, or was it Buddha or one of the Dalai Lamas, I can't remember who said, You're Christ I like it, your Christians I can't stand. You know, they've heard bad things about Christianity. But the difference in these guys is that they opted to test. The good that they had heard about him. That Jesus, as you've heard today, sung and prayed and communed over. We've said things about Jesus today. He can change your life. He can make you guilt-free. He can make things better in your world. We've said good things about Jesus. And these lepers tested the good, didn't just revert back and believe the bad. They gave it a shot. So they were submissive to him. The third thing about their cry, specific, submissive, it was also very sober. Here's what I mean by it being sober. Look what they ask Jesus for. Jesus, Master, one question. Have mercy on us. It was humble. It was simple. You know, people approached Jesus all kinds of different ways in his life. For all kinds of different reasons. It was really basically just based upon what they would want. People approached Jesus skeptically to test him. They approached him deceptively. They approached him selfishly. They approached him all kinds of different reasons. But these guys are approaching Jesus with a sober request. Please, Jesus, just have mercy on us. And the way that you approach Jesus, the way that you come to Jesus, is largely dependent upon what you actually want from Jesus. Are you seeking to prove him wrong? You'll probably come... You know, deceptively or skeptically. Are you seeking just to get a benefit from him but not have a relationship? You'll probably seek him selfishly. Hey, can you fix this or that and move go on your way? But if you're seeking him for salvation, you come to him and you beg for mercy. You see, those of us who come to Jesus for salvation, in my experience, there's one very simple yet difficult difference and how we approach Jesus. So we're narrowing this down to a group of people who approach Jesus to actually have life in Christ, salvation, to become a Christian. But there's one difference between the way that we approach him. And that is, do we ask him for help, or do we beg for mercy? There's a big difference. I want you to think about this. You see, when you don't understand algebra, you ask your teacher for help. But when you fail the test, you beg for mercy. When you need to change the battery in your car and you only got two hands and you need a third, you ask somebody for help. Hey, can you hold the flashlight while I work on this? But when you're broken down on the side of the road, you're begging for mercy. You see, a cry, an ask for help is, hey, I can do this. I, I, I'll figure it out, but I just kind of need a hand to kind of get along over this little hump. And then once I get that hand from you, I can resume what I'm doing. I just need a little bit of help. To beg for mercy says, I'm over my head and I don't know how to get out of this. And if you approach Jesus saying, can you just give me a little help? You'll return back to your self-sufficient, self-justifying life without Christ. You might become religious, you might do religious things, but you'll still live for yourself and by yourself if you just want help from Jesus. But if you understand your condition and where you really are, that you haven't you just needed help on your homework, you failed the test. You beg for mercy, saying, I'm over my head. I need help. Beyond my help, I need your mercy. My guilt and my shame is too much. Please help me. So it starts with their cry that they need mercy from Jesus specifically because he has the power. Now let's look at the second part, his commandment. What does he tell them to do? And here's where it gets really interesting. So they cry out to Jesus. They've probably even heard the story that's recorded in Luke chapter 5 where Jesus healed a leper on the spot in a moment, healed him. And so they say, okay, Jesus, please heal us. And it says in verse 14 that Jesus saw them. Now Luke is not flippant with the way that he writes this story. He's not careless in the way that he writes it. He doesn't say when they cried out, Jesus heard them. He says Jesus saw them. Meaning he looked into them, understood them. Luke is trying to convey to you that Jesus felt their situation, understood their plight. That's how he was with them and how he always has been. And when you are suffering, when you're under great challenge and difficulty and you're in over your head, Jesus doesn't just hear, he sees. And he tells them to do something in verse 14. He says, go and show yourself to the priest. That's all he says to do. It's a unique way for him to accomplish his healing. Listen, he's done some interesting things like touching or spitting on the ground and making some mud. Stuck his finger in a guy's ear one time. Like, like He's done some interesting things to heal people. But now he says, go show yourself to the priest. Now why would he say that? You see... Under Levitical law, in chapter 13 and chapter 14 of the book of Leviticus, if you were a leper, for you to be re-entered into society and to be declared clean, you would have to be healed of your leprosy and then approach the priest and he would go through a ritual with you that we'll talk about in a moment. And after doing that, you would be declared clean and you could re-enter society after seven days. But here's the thing. Jesus hasn't healed them yet. They're still lepers. They're sitting there with the boils and the problems and the pain and the suffering. He says, go, show yourself to the priest. Now, this is risky to do. And this tells us two things about Jesus. One, Jesus upholds the law of God. Jesus is not a sweep under the rug, free, careless, grace-filled person. That's not how he operates. He doesn't say, I know the law says do this, but listen... I'm going to be kind to you. I'm going to let you off the hook. He doesn't say that. He upholds the law. In fact, we learn from his life that he doesn't just uphold it. He fulfills it for us. We'll learn in just a moment. The second thing it tells us about Jesus is this. He is testing your faith. He tests their faith. When he says, go show yourself to the priest, they are not clean when they start walking. This is risky for them. If they walked all the way to the temple and they were not yet clean and they knocked on the door and said, we'd like to see the priest to examine us to see if we're still lepers. If the priest saw them and they were still lepers, they were again cast out. Shame all over again. Guilt all over again. At the marketplace, gossiping all over again. Can you believe what those 10 guys did? They came and thought they were clean. They weren't. That was all on the table for them. And they start walking anyway. And as they're walking, their voice gets louder. They start to feel they're with their feet again. And they look at each other, and they're like, hey, you're healed. And, and they look back and say, hey, you're healed. Remember, no mirrors really at this time. And they recognize that they're healed. You see, the point is this. Jesus never wants us to forget that obedience is the pathway to healing. You and I must walk in obedience to really see a difference in our life. And this makes sense, right? If you've got problems in your life that you want to change, you've got to walk in the right way to get those things to change. If you are buried in debt, you've got to stop borrowing money and stop spending money like crazy, right? You've got to walk in obedience to get up out of debt. If you want to pass this algebra test we're talking about, you've got to do your homework. You've got to listen to the teacher. You've got to study. You've got to practice. And if you walk in obedience, you'll probably be able to do that. If you want better relationships in your life, you might want to start walking in obedience. What do I mean? Start serving people. Start being kind to people. And just watch how things change in your life. You see, the problem is most of us want things to change without us ever changing and if you don't ever want to change if you just want all your circumstances and all those people around you to be different and things to be better but you don't ever want to look yourself in the mirror and say i've got to change jesus has got a word for you it's about obedience god says i use things in life to change you so that you're different and then you go and change things You and I have a deep problem, more than just financial issues or homework issues or relationship issues. You and I have a guilt and a shame that comes from sin in our life that you can't scrub with any good works or any numbing agent that this world offers. You can't get rid of it. It is the common human experience of guilt, I've done something wrong, and shame, I am wrong. And guilt and shame have no solution outside of walking in obedience back to God. Confession, owning it. Repentance, leaving it. Dying to self in the waters of baptism to be raised, a new life. And daily dying to your old ways. And following Jesus Christ. Obedience is the path to healing. And Jesus tests them to see if they're obedient. He says, go, show yourself to the priests. And they go. Let's finish the third part of this. We see their cry, we see his command, and it finishes with real, genuine conversion. All ten of the guys are healed. And they're heading on their way to God's temple to fulfill God's law, right? And can you imagine what's going through their minds when all of a sudden their bodies are different, They're right? Just imagine for a moment all the things they're thinking about, all the things they are going through their head. I get to see my family again. I get to go home to my house, sleep in my bed. I get to go back maybe to a job and earn money and not be in poverty anymore. I get to actually have social interaction where I'm not the outcast anymore. Their whole whole world is changing. Imagine how the wheels are spinning for them in their life. They cannot wait to get to the temple because the priest holds in his hand the ability to say, Welcome back to our world. And yet there's one guy who pivots on his heel. And runs back to Jesus. And as he does this, the others probably saw him. And they probably even heard him. And it says this time now with a loud voice, meaning this was audibly very loud. He praises God, gives glory to God. He falls at Jesus' feet, and he gives thanks. Looks like he does three things, but he's really doing one. He's worshiping. To glorify God, to fall at the feet of Jesus, and to give thanks is worship and he's worshiping them now i don't know what this guy knew in his mind i don't know what the samaritan knew about jesus i don't know what he knew about the law i don't know what he thought about religion we don't really get much of that but here's what i do know he did know that in that moment god through this man named jesus made his life whole again that's what he knew and he turned back and he said, thank you for that. He said, thank you. And for all that, he was grateful. And Jesus says this at the end of the story. After he makes the comment, well, okay, weren't there 10? Where, where are the other nine? How come only the Samaritan? He's making this point not to the Samaritan, but those who are listening. He says, how come only the Samaritan has returned with gratitude? And then he turns to the Samaritan. He looks at him. He says this, your faith has made you Well. Your faith has made you complete, whole. Those other nine were healed. This man was spiritually whole, he was saved, his life was transformed. You see, gratitude is really the seal of true transformation. Desperation makes us aware that we've got a problem. Faith makes us cry out to somebody else outside of ourselves, but it's gratitude that unites you with your Savior. The irony of all this is that what this man needed was not his leprosy to be gone, but to be united with Jesus Christ. He could have died a leper in faith of Jesus and been saved. Getting rid of the leprosy was the vehicle by which he came to know who Jesus was. It's interesting, the other nine did what the law said, right? Leviticus 13 and 14, they went to the temple, they met the priest, they brought the sacrifice, they did all the ordinances, we assume. They went to God's house, the temple, fulfilled God's law, and offered God worshipped. and they returned to life with God's people, and they missed God himself. Did you catch that? This is the warning part. God's law, God's house, God's people missed God. There's something different about the Samaritan. Imagine with me for just a moment if this Samaritan went with the other nine. He went to the temple, performed the rituals, and was healed, and it was declared to be clean. Where would he have gone after this? Well, remember, he's a Samaritan. He would have gone to God's house at the outside. He would have been declared clean. But would he have been able to enter into the temple to worship God? Would he have been able to re-enter into life with God's people? There's something different about him. He had something missing. You see, if he went with them, it didn't end up for him like it did for them. Once he's cleansed, this man's still separated. He's still an outcast. The earthly priest had everything those nine Jews wanted. Social status, health declared, life restored on this earth. The earthly priests had everything they wanted for this life. Jesus had everything this man wanted. Not just his body healed, but his soul made right. So he, the Samaritan, wanted more and he's saved. But the question is how? How could Jesus look at this man and say, you're saved? I mentioned before the Levitical offerings that had to be made for um for leprosy to be declared, for a leper to be declared clean, they would have to bring two animals to the priest. And then there was a few other pieces of offering. But mainly when you came as a leper and you were clean to the priest, to be declared te- clean, two things had to happen. There was blood sacrifice for the guilt of this leper. Remember, they were under divine judgment, seen as a sinner. So they would offer an animal A unblemished, clean animal. They would take the blood and the priest would touch the right earlobe, the right thumb, and the right big toe of the leper with the blood. That was for the atonement of the sin. And then they would take oil and some flour and they would make a cake. This was called the grain offering. And the priest would take that oil and put it on top of the blood on the ear, the thumb, and the toe. And that grain offering was an offering of gratitude see, when you came as a leper, you needed atonement and gratitude to be right. Well, we see in this story, the gratitude, right? The leper's got it figured out. He's come to Jesus. He's praising God. He's falling at Jesus' feet. This man has got the grain offering idea, the gratitude to God right. But where's the blood? He didn't have that, did he? I don't see anywhere in the story where he cut the neck of a lamb and he took blood and put it on him. I don't see any of that. Where's the blood come from? About three weeks from this story, a lamb would go to Jerusalem, not with this leper though, by himself. Climb a hill with blood dripping down his forehead, pouring out of his back, hang upon a cross, and a spirit would go into his side, and out of his body would come blood for the atonement of sin, but also water for the washing of souls. Now here's the question. You've got the lamb, right? Offering you forgiveness. Guilt-free. Peacefulness with God. No more guilt. No more shame. In Jesus Christ upholding and fulfilling the law, I can be right with God. There's one thing missing. Have we returned with the gratitude to him? Are you bringing to God the grain offering? Are you coming to him and saying, thank you for the blood that has washed me made me clean, made me right with you, that takes all those things that I wish I've never done in my life and forgives me for them, and then takes all the righteousness of Jesus and gives it to me so that I can stand in your sight, God, as a blessing, as a favored child of yours. Don't miss that. Return back with gratitude for what he's done. We're here to help you. Let's stand and sing this song with Cody. If you have a need, you can come.